0: Welcome everybody to Friday edition Texans all access from the Hunter Texans radio studio. I am John Harris football analyst a reporter joined right off the top and through most of the show by my good friend the voice of the Texans Mark Vandermeer TGIF happy Friday my friend how you doing
1: Johnny I'm doing great it's Friday it's good and uh, here we are at it's late March so I feel like when you get into April, the clock really starts ticking. It's four months to go. It reminds me of my first year with the Texans, 2002. April 1st just felt like, okay, it's on. And I know it seems like, wait a minute, Mark. I mean, we just got into the offseason here. But I think in terms of being in this building, when you see free agency, that first wave come to an end, and the draft is just a few weeks away, you really feel the buzz start to build this time of year then you go into that lull the desert after the mini camp. i don't know how they're going to handle all that this year but my point is this i can feel it you know i can feel it coming in the air tonight you know i'm not going to sing the whole phil collins song but uh you get my drift here that's how it is uh
0: going back we we got plenty to do tonight we're going to talk about this big trade that happened today we're also going to look at The wide receivers and running backs and how the changes maybe impact what they might do in the draft, how they go about it. We'll do that a little later in the show. And then we're also going to hear from my good friend Sal Capaccio, because I got to thinking about this last night. We were talking with the general and he mentioned the name Shaq Lawson. I was like, man, Sal had a really good comment and a couple of good comments when I asked about Shaq Lawson, who spent the first part of his career in Buffalo. So I figured, you know what, let's bring that back and look at that, and we'll we'll talk about that a little later. But you just talked about this right off the bat, Mark. You know how excited I get for drafts. You know, you know I get, like, in a different zone. What was it like gearing up for that very first one in 2002? I mean, I know the draft is kind of taking on a life of its own, but that was the first big event. And when did they know it was Derek – or when did you know it was David Carr? There was an assumption it was David Carr. They signed him before the
1: pick was made. I can't remember exactly how many days, but it was days. It wasn't the night before, like the Mario Williams thing, the next time they would have the number one pick in 2006. They signed David in advance, and you knew it was going to be him. And he had the great year with Fresno State. If anyone wonders why they picked David Carr number one overall in 2002, go look up Carr's stats with Fresno and what that Fresno team did his senior year there, he was number one pick worthy. He was. Yep. Now, it wasn't Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, you know, sure kind of thing coming out, but he looked pretty darn good. You know, he looked better than – I think better than a Baker Mayfield coming out anyway. I'm not saying that Carr turns out to be better. or Obviously, I think Baker Mayfield's already turned out to be better than David Carr, who never led his team to the playoffs. But you understand what I'm saying. Yes. The projection. And you could answer that better than I can. But anyway – They had 13 picks in that draft in the expansion college draft, not the expansion draft, which took place February 18th, 2002. That was, you know, we knew who they were going to take, and they made it a very nice suspenseful sort of event at the George R. Brown Convention Center. The other thing, Johnny, is that first draft party took place at the Astrodome. It was inside the Astrodome, the first Texans draft party, because NRG Stadium wasn't available yet. Uh So it, it was under construction still. That was a really unique time in team history. And I think the Texans' early failures or shortcomings are due to not drafting quite as well as they could have with the first couple of drafts. They hit it right with Andre Johnson, obviously. They hit it right with Chester Pitts, Jabbar Gaffney. There were some other players. I think Fred Weary was a good pick. But they got a lot of picks wrong. And when you have 13 picks in one draft – can you imagine having 13 picks in one draft? You're picking twice per round uh, except the first round. And I think that it, it cost them to not draft as well as they wanted. They started five, six rookies on offense uh, yeah. in 2002. They couldn't move the ball well at all. It was terrible on that side of the football. And a lot of injuries and other issues went into that. We've talked about Tony bacelli and Ryan Young a lot not being available for them. But uh, it was a fun time. And, and I'll never forget gearing up at that first Texans draft and first offseason that I lived
0: through and the whole fan base lived through. It was an exciting time. You know, two of the greatest players in NFL history ended up being Texans. And it's always kind of weird Tony Baselli and Ed Reed. Uh, it's just very, <laughs> very, very strange. And by the way, if you go check out In the Lab podcast, Drew and I finished our ultimate draft, and Tony Baselli and Ed Reed both on John Harris's team. So, yes, we could pick. But wait a minute. Wait yeah. a minute. Yeah. So you get to
1: have their performance as non-Texans, not yes, as Texans. because
0: because we drafted one player from each franchise, which got to be really, really difficult. I'm telling you, if we had have thrown, uh, you know, a few more people in, you, DP, et cetera, it would have gotten dicey, especially for certain teams because mm-hmm. who do you – now, with the Texans, you, know, you could go a number of different ways. You have a few guys you could pick from. But if you're in the Jags, you go Buscelli, and then where do you go? Fred Taylor. Yeah, I mean, you're going really deep though. But I mean, Drew ended up going with Jalen Ramsey, which you know it's our rules. Good he, pick. It was a good pick. You know, he was a he was a pro bowler in Jacksonville. So all right, I gotta, gotta go with it. But yeah, I picked Ravens. That was the player I picked from the Ravens, uh, was Ed Reed. It was a really challenging process because you had to think about what teams have players with multiple, like multiple options. And then you got to try and fill out your roster. So you got to try and fill out an offensive line and then you got to pick one guy from each team. So it, it was not, it was not the easiest thing in the world. And it was, but it was, it was really fun to do. I want to throw this out there. I want to do it for current teams. I think that would be kind of fun to do it for the current NFL teams, taking a guy from each team Maybe we'll, maybe we'll start that. Maybe you and I will start that or me, you, and Drew will start that and DP as well and do that for the NFL. That could get kind of fun um, and crazy, and we would probably need a whole lot more than four shows. But uh, that remains to be seen. Mark, I asked you about the draft in 2002. The draft in 2021 took a hard left turn mm. today. And it happened all in about 90 minutes, and it really ticked me off. Because I had written a whole article after the Eagles – I'm sorry, the 49ers and the Dolphins made a deal. The 49ers moved up to number three, and the Dolphins essentially moved down to number 12. They also picked up a couple other first-rounders and a third-rounder. So I'm like, all right, how does this now change the draft? What does this mean? I finished that. I sent it to Amanda. Amanda. Amanda Caffey, who does all kinds of great stuff for us, posting articles, working with social, just does an incredible job. And I send that to her. I go back to Twitter, and I'm like, why do they keep talking about the Eagles? Oh, no. Amanda, don't post it. Had to rewrite the whole thing because now the Eagles got in it. The gist of it is the Dolphins essentially go from three to six. The Eagles go from six to 12, and they get Miami's first rounder. And the 49ers go all the way up to number three. Mark, when you saw all that going on, what was your gut reaction to all that happening with those three teams?
1: Well, first take me
0: through the Niners going from 12 to three, right? Right. So that deal deal was Niners go up to number three. The Dolphins got San Francisco's number 12. They got Mm -hmm. a third rounder from the Niners. That's the one the Niners – um, are getting because Robert Sala went to the Jets. Right. And then they got first rounders in 2022 and 2023. That's what they got in that deal. Then That's they turned three around. Ones. Well, yeah, right. three I mean.
1: Ones, three ones to go up nine spots. Nine now, spots. I know it's a big nine. You know, it gets squeezed, right? The, the higher you go, the closer to one in the first round. Right. If you want to move up spots, you got to give up more. Right. What did the Texans? How many spots did the Texans move up to 12th to pick Watson in 2000? They went from
0: 25 to 12, 13 spots, and they gave up a single first round draft single first round pick.
1: So yep. the Niners, you're telling me, just moved up nine spots, and they gave up three ones and a
0: third. Well, they gave up two ones in a third, and then they obviously swap swapped the spots. So they got right. but San Francisco 12 three
1: ones to move up nine spots, right? right? Right. All right. Two wants to move up. I got it. I got it. I yeah. Got it. But still, you understand what I'm saying. Absolutely. I think that's a that is a big, big investment for them. And I think what makes it so expensive, draft capital wise, for the 49ers is that everyone knows you're going to take a quarterback and number three. Yes. I mean, there's no chance you're not going to. So what you're telling me is Garoppolo's still a 49er as we speak.
0: As we speak, yes
1: and he's not going to be for much longer, is Garoppolo. Now, this is wild to me. Exactly. Garoppolo either gets traded from here or Garoppolo becomes Steve DeBerg. uh, (laughs) You know, he becomes (laughs) Ryan Fitzpatrick. He becomes that guy who has to groom the young guy. All of a sudden, Garoppolo is that guy? I don't think so. I think he gets traded. He's got value.
0: Uh, Here's the thing like another certain quarterback and a few others in the league, actually. He's got a no-trade clause in his contract. Oh, boy. So, Garoppolo – so, 49ers could say, hey, look, we're going to trade you to – we're going to trade you back to New England. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy can go, nope. He can, He can tell them, no, he's got a no-trade clause in that contract. He could tell them, no, I'm not going back to New England. Now, I'm just using that as an example. I mean, yeah. he may want to. But he could ultimately say, nope, not doing it. That no trade clause can make this very interesting. So the other side of it is, all right, do you play this out and say, okay, at number three, we're we're not getting Trevor Lawrence and more than likely we're not getting Zach Wilson. But we have the next quarterback pretty close to those two guys. And we have two or three that are kind of in that ballpark. So we know we're gonna get one of them at number three. The question becomes A, let's say it's Trey Lance. He hasn't played football since 2019, basically. He played one game this past fall. That's it. So do you take a guy like Trey Lance, who's got all kinds of potential, let him sit for one year behind Garoppolo, let Garoppolo's contract run out, he's done. Trey Lance steps in after a year, and you've got kind of like a Patrick Mahomes succession plan in San Francisco. But are
1: are you giving up too
0: much for Lance are you giving
1: up way too much to make that acquisition you could have gotten him at 12 maybe
0: maybe but you're but you're not you know listen if you're looking at this you're looking at the draft you're going okay yeah these teams in front of me and I need a quarterback you know Dallas doesn't need a quarterback okay we get that but Denver absolutely needs a quarterback you've got um, Atlanta may not need one but New England might trade up and want one So, you know, Carolina wants one at at number eight. So, you know, two are going to be off the board. One and two, they're they're off the board. So, at number three, you ensure yourself you're getting one. At number 12, you – so, this is the part of this that really kind of – I don't want to say blew me away because, again, nothing surprises me. I don't think Mac Jones is worthy of the number three pick, but I saw multiple people that you and I both respect on this thing we call the Twitter saying, hey, look, this could be for Trey Lance or Mac Jones. That's
1: overthinking it. I'm sorry. I, listen, I they know more than I do, but, Johnny, you got Jimmy Garoppolo in mm-hmm. your stable. He yeah. has trouble staying healthy, right. but you're going to tell me that Mac Jones is going to be better than Jimmy Garoppolo when Jimmy's healthy? Maybe, maybe he is, but I got a hard time believing that. And I know Garoppolo is a second-round pick, and, you know, no one expected – well, I think a few people did expect him to be pretty good. Uh, so, clearly, you know, you drafted him in the second round. I kind of wish at the time the Texans grabbed him top of the second round in 2014. But it is what it is. It's fascinating, and we talk – you know, we talk about this every night, the yeah. uncertainty at the quarterback position. Yep. So, give up a lot to move up to three. You know, moving up to two would be really cool. For them, for their needs, for anybody who wants a quarterback, because then the default it's uh, you know if you don't get Lawrence, you get Wilson, and if you right. like Fields better, you take him, or maybe Lance, you like him better. Right. I don't know, but you have much more choice. At number three, it starts to get a little bit limited, and then you feel like you're overpaying. If it's I don't know, you, do you think Fields is not the top three? Is not in the top three anymore in people's minds?
0: I don't think so. I, I had him fourth. Uh, of the quarterbacks even behind Trey Lance. Now, Justin Fields has not had his pro day. And each one of these quarterbacks, when they've had a pro day, it has been the 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 response to it has been, whoa, okay, oh, this whoa, shut it down. That guy was so good. I mean, you know, there's a scout today that texted Dane and was like draft starts at three. Wilson's going number two. I mean, look, Justin Fields can get back in this with a really A really good pro day. His film wasn't great in 2020. He only played six games or seven games, I think. He got hurt in the one in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, He was not outstanding in 2020. He was good. He was great in that Sugar Bowl win. So, Gil Brandt tweeted out and said he's talked to scouts that have him as high as five and as low as round four. Round four. What? I'm like, what? What? All over the place, and I, I'm like, "Wow, I, I don't, I don't see that at all." I think Mac Jones ends up being a very interesting wild card in this whole thing, because if they move up for Mac Jones, by the way, Mac's not a statue. He's not the, you know, he's not the, um, you know, he's not the Justin Fields or Trey Lance of this group. But ran a four seven eight in, in his forty the other day. That's that's enough. That's enough. Oh, yeah. So he's, he's going to be fine. But, Mark, what really – the first thing that, that triggered to me was, okay, you know that – you know the Jags are going Lawrence at one. And number two, the Jets are there. The Jets sent Joe Douglas, GM, Robert Sala, the head coach, and offense coordinator, uh, Lil LaFleur. They all went there. And they went to go watch Zach Wilson. Apparently, Zach Wilson was awesome. And you had a feeling he was going number two anyways. So now the Niners make this deal to go up to three. You don't move up nine spots to go up that much to go for some other position. No. So that's a quarterback at three. Yep. The Falcons sit at number four. The Falcons are sitting at four, and they just restructured Matt Ryan. So his contract's a little bit, from a cap hit perspective, a little bit better. Now, they could use a quarterback at some point, and maybe they want to get him now, maybe later. But the way that they've worked things with Matt Ryan, he's still got a couple of good years left. They're sitting at four. They can field every trade offer yep. imaginable for someone to come up and get, maybe it is Mac Jones they like, or come on up and get Justin Fields at number four. I'm pretty sure quarterbacks, this move today to me signaled what I thought when I did my mock draft. Quarterbacks are going one, two, three, four in this thing. And maybe, depending on how much people love Mac Jones, maybe one, two, three, four, five in this draft, which is crazy. So it's never happened top four, right? It's happened top three
1: twice. The Plunkett, Manning, Pastorini, Pastorini year. yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all three turned out to be pretty good quarterbacks. Now Plunkett, not with the team that drafted him, but he won right. two Super Bowls. I asked McLean once, should Plunkett be in the Hall of Fame? No way. No <laughs> way Just in the Hall of Fame. Now you look at the career numbers, it's not there. And you know, he yeah. lost his job like two or three times. But for some reason, in Super Bowls with the Raiders, he was money, and you got to give him credit for that. I mean, he yeah. won that one over the Redskins, uh, the Washington football team, as we call them now. Yes. Uh, in '84, that was sensational. Was it '84? It was '83 season. '83 season, '84, like January '84. Yes. Yeah, '83 season because it was. Uh, yeah, the the. Washington football team was in back-to-back, and they won one over the Dolphins. They lost one to, to the one to the Raiders, and then the Dolphins were back in the next year with Marino losing to Joe Montana. Yes. Uh, but Pastorini works out pretty well. And then the other one was Achilles Smith was one of the guys. One of 99. The top guys.
0: 99. It was, um, it was Tim Couch, Donovan McNabb, and Achilles Smith.
1: Jeez. Well, one out of three ain't bad. <laughs> I mean, my gosh. <laughs> yeah,
0: McNabb is yeah. the only
1: one who <laughs> works out there, which – Again, goes back to the point of the uncertainty of the whole thing. You get the top four, top five guys all being quarterbacks. That's going to be really interesting for the whole league. Uh, The Niners paid a lot, Johnny. And whoever's going to deal with Atlanta, if someone is, I want to be really sure who the Niners are going to take before I make that move. And especially now that the the currency is out there. And I know that we can break out draft charts and the, the value of picks and everything. But, man, oh, man, you get two ones to move up. Plus the third, nine spots, takes it. And it's interesting. And how about the Dolphins ending up with a bazillion picks when it's all I, said and done?
0: I can't even. I mean, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't even. I mean, just the 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 chess that Chris Greer has played, he and Brian Flores and what they've been able to do. And and you know, the funny thing is the year that they were quote unquote tanking for Tua. You can see them getting better. Like, if I would have been a fan of the Dolphins, I would have been like, look, I, okay, this, this season's not – it's not great. We're getting kicked in the teeth. However, they're getting better. And I right. kind of like watching them. And then they pull that victory at the end over the Patriots, which sent the 2019 playoffs in a total different direction. And you're thinking like, okay, I I like, I like where this thing is going And now look at us. The Dolphins essentially look like the Oklahoma City Thunder, which I read yesterday. (laughs) I read this number yesterday. I'm like, nah, it's not right. But apparently the Oklahoma City Thunder have 34 draft picks over the next seven years. Uh. Like, wait, you get two picks a year. They have 34 (laughs) over the next seven years which I'm still trying to grasp, but it feels like that's what the Dolphins are going to have when this is all said and done. But the thing is, they go back up to six. And so as I start looking at it, if if quarterbacks go one through four, like I think they will, that means one player will go at five. Now, the player I have going to the Bengals is Kyle Pitts, the tight end slash receiver from Florida. That means the Dolphins will have moved oh. down, pulled in an extra pick in 2022, a third rounder in 2021, and they will have their pick of every wide receiver, every offensive lineman, and every defensive player in the draft at number 6.
1: It's it's just smart for them to trade out of that third pick. I mean the, the value is too high. Yep. The demand for quarterback is too high. They had to do it and give them a ton of credit for dropping down to 12 and then bouncing right back up to 6. And they've done a heck of a job now. You got to draft the right people. They got to work out. No true. question about it. They yep. have a lot of picks. Uh, you know, I was reading what they spun the Laramie deal into ultimately, and I don't even want to get into that right now uh, as far as what they were able to spin it for. But you you look at the amount of picks, you look at all those ones, and you start saying, well, I want to see what they do with those. Yes. You know? Because if you flame out, if you bust out on those ones, you know, great job getting those ones, but yep. you got to get guys who can play. So let's see if they can pull it off.
0: And that's a great point, Mark, because a few years ago – when the Rams and the Washington football team made the RG3 deal, the Redskins gave up a ton. The Rams never capitalized. The Rams busted on too many of those picks and they weren't really able to capitalize. Now Washington didn't either because RG3 got hurt and never able to get back to his rookie year form, but you're absolutely right. If Miami doesn't capitalize on uh, these picks, I mean, that's on them. It feels like they're moving in the right direction, but, now they got to nail those things. If they didn't nail those things, and Tua is that guy, oh, oh, brother, hang on. All right, Mark, we're going to talk a little running backs. Let's we'll stick with the running backs. We talked to the general last night and asked him about Phil Blinzy. He had some interesting things to say. How does that impact the running back position? We'll talk about that next, right here at Texans All Access. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by Dykin. Hey, Texans fans, get a home field advantage this summer with Daikin Air Intelligence tips you can use to beat the heat in your home. Learn how to lower your energy costs, reclaim your outdoor space, and breathe easier by improving your indoor air quality. It's all part of Daikin's Air Intelligence, and you can learn all about it by visiting DaikinLovesHouston.com. As one of Houston's largest employers, Daikin is doing big things for your fellow Texans. Check out their outstanding limited warranties and financing options at your local dealer today. Now back to the show. Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, alongside the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, one thing is I was driving home last night, and I was kind of thinking to myself about our conversation with the General John McClain, and I asked him about Philip Lindsay. And he talked about some of the people he had talked to in Denver. And if he could stay healthy, essentially what they told him was, if he could stay healthy, you've got something extraordinary on your hands. He will be that number one guy. I, I don't know what you took out of that, but that kept kind of like reverberating in my mind as I was driving home. Do you think that's the case? How do you look at this running back position now with what's there, with Phil Lindsay being added to the group, And do you think it keeps them out of the rookie running back operation through the draft this year? I
1: don't think it does. I think somehow a rookie ends up here. It doesn't have to be a highly drafted. Look, you can't get a highly drafted rookie. The way things are set up right now. Your first pick right. is in the third round, but I doubt they're picking a running back that high relative to what they have. Maybe somebody in the later rounds, undrafted free agents, you know, they're going to bring people in here, Johnny. And the way McLean was talking with us last night, it's almost, he. it's almost as if he thinks it's a foregone conclusion uh, that, at least one of these big names, and I'll put big in air quotes here, but these names you know might not be here. Maybe all of them won't be here by the time you hit the starting line in September, but I doubt that's true. I think Lindsey, when you look at Lindsey, he's young enough, not a lot of tread on the tire. It's only his fourth season in the league. He's never averaged less than 4.3 per carry. I think there's a lot there, and you're going to enjoy watching him assimilate into this offense we're all eager to see it i like that danny barrett's still here to help coach the running backs you know when lindsey's fully operational healthy full season you know he can catch the ball out of the backfield I do think the way it's set up right now, I look at it as a by committee thing, Ingram, Lindsey, you know, we'll see some David Johnson, of course, and they'll just spread the ball around uh, among those guys and find out who the hot hand is. Now, it's easy for me to say that now in late March, maybe they have a completely different idea, but I, I do believe that he can add a lot to this attack and needs to, you know, they have to run the ball better. And I like that they have Again, competition, options, the line's gonna be different in the interior. It's gotta be better at run blocking. The backs have to do a better job. The whole thing has to work better. And they're making the moves to help along that in that direction. You know, it's not like you can go out and sign, all right, we got John Hanna, Dwight Stevenson, <laughs> you know, like they can't get those guys in free agency. And yeah, those guys are long past their prime, by the way. And Dwight Stevenson no longer with us, right? Did he did he? Did he buy the farm? Did Dwight Stevens? Why no, is that in my mind, Johnny? I think he's, I think I he's still know. with I'm us. looking up right now. I think he's still uh, with us. Continue, with, right your continue with
0: your point. Continue oh, with your point. Continue with your
1: point. Continue with my point. He's still alive. Thank goodness. I was yes. all worried. Anyway. uh so I believe that, you know, clearly they got to do a better job, and that's why they're adding so much to this. And, yes, more is on the way. I would be shocked if they don't add to the mix undrafted free agents or later round picks.
0: Yeah. With David Johnson, Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, those three guys have all been successful in this league, In they've all been pro bowlers before. I'm pretty sure that Philip Lindsay made pro bowl his rookie year. I think that was the year that we saw him in 2018. And then behind him, you got Buddy Howell, Scotty Phillips, Dontrell Hilliard. Now – that's, that's six running backs, and Colin Gillespie was released. I think he signed with the Giants, so he is no longer in the building. The Texans really didn't use the fullback all that much. They didn't use Gilly all that much. They didn't use Farrell Brown in that role, kind of the sniffer, why all that. Ryan Izzo can do the same thing. So they've got some guys that can that can do that. So I don't think a fullback's there, but that's six guys, Mark. I don't know how they're going to get it from six to three, but I got a feeling one of those veterans, just by doing the math, because you know Buddy Howell's playing special teams, you know that, you know that Dontrell Hilliard, Scotty Phillips will play special teams if asked. And right. we know that Dontrell Hilliard was in the return game. But David Johnson, Mark Ingram, Phil Lindsay, neither one of those guys is going to play special mm. teams. Mm. So I would imagine you can't have all three. Mm-hmm. Make it. I would. Uh, I, I would guess. Maybe I'm wrong. On my parade. I don't want to because actually, I like all three. I like how all three go together, and I liked last year I, the the, idea, the theory of David Johnson, Duke Johnson. To me, was much better than the reality of those two, because I felt like, yeah, you know, they had similar skills. I felt like you could get them both on the field at the same time. And that, and that just really it, it never it never worked. They didn't use David that much as a wide receiver until later in the year. Um, Duke really wasn't used much as a runner, and they didn't move anybody off the ball up front, so you didn't really capitalize on that. But I look at Ingram, and I look at Lindsey, and I, I would love for them to keep all three, but I just don't know how you do it unless you're keeping four, maybe even five running backs. So the back, the two at the back end, Buddy Howell and Hilliard or Buddy Howell and Scotty Phillips, those two guys you know are going to end up playing special teams, and maybe you're banking on one of those three being banged up, that one's on IR, whatever the case might be, but it's going to be tough to keep four running backs, and those three are taking up three spots, and the third guy is not playing special teams, so I, I don't know how that's really, how it's going to work out. But I love the fact that they'll have the opportunity all in training camp to sort of figure it out. But to me, it's as interesting the running back position has been in a while because years ago it was, well, it's going to be Lamar Miller and Deontay Foreman. Like, okay. Like, you just knew it was going to be those two guys. Then it's Lamar Miller. Now, 2019 after Lamar got hurt, it got like, okay, what are we going to do now? And then Carlos Hyde came right before the season. You're like, oh, Carlos and Duke. Okay, this is cool. But before the season started, you kind of knew it was Lamar Miller – I guess you thought it was going to be Deontay Foreman, so I guess it did change. But going Alfred in Alfred Blue. Or Alfred Blue.
1: Or Al- you go back to that, you know, you knew, you know, Alfred had some solid games for this team. Let's give him some credit. Yeah, you know, you think about no Cleveland doubt. in 2014 and having over a buck in that game and a good game against Cincinnati in 2016. And, you know, he could do that for you on occasion, but he wasn't one of these guys, you know right, what I mean? No. These guys have really done some explosive things. Now, maybe that's behind them with David Johnson and Mark Ingram. You know, I think Lindsey, obviously being a younger guy, that that could work out better for him. But I got a feeling it's not, and they're going to have either a tough decision to make, or to your point, just you know, keep a couple of extra guys to play special teams, virtually only as you know, Buddy Howell, Scotty Phillips type players, uh, if in fact not them. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I just think more players are on the way and I don't think there's any fear of cutting anybody in this building. All right. They are going to do what they need to do to make the team better. But the fact that they have these three names and they're not again they're, It's not like you're bringing in Hall of Famers. You're just bringing in names people know, but to have them Duke it out. Ooh. I shouldn't have used that word to have them play it out and see who can (laughs) earn that playing time. That's cool. And you're right about uh, David and Duke from last year. Uh, That was a, on paper, we could draw it up and say, look, that was a good prospect there in your running game to have those two players. Uh, When David went out for a while, Duke was the exclusive runner virtually, and it just didn't work out the way it needed to with, ground game production look I don't care how they do it Johnny they got to run the ball better I mean this is hardly a headline they're looking at what they did last year they're looking at what needs to be done around this league they're looking at how this team's going to be set up they they got to run the football they got to do it the defense needs it the offense everybody needs it Houston needs it let's see how they can get it done
0: well I I find it interesting Mark because I listen they've got to run the ball better but Nick Saban was on – and I can't remember where I, where I saw this. Oh, he was doing a coaching clinic. And I think it was Louisiana. He's doing a coaching clinic. And he was kind of getting peppered for questions. And one of the things that he brought up I thought was very, very interesting. He said, if you think that in today's football you can play good defense, run the ball, not turn it over, that you're going to have a high level of success, you're fooling yourself. And he said, "I believed that for a long time." And he said, "Then he said, then it changed. I started seeing the game changing. He's like, I better evolve and change with it, or I'm gonna be in a lot of trouble." Now, the thing about it was, they did have an explosive running game at Alabama last year, <laughs> um, and so that that every, it, every, every year. But they also had Jalen Waddle. Year they
1: got a guy who looks like Derrick Henry if it's not in fact Derrick (laughs) Henry running the ball. Like every year a guy comes out of Bama who is from Central Casting. (laughs) No, you don't really need to run the ball. But give me like two or three of those guys and keep them in the pipeline, okay? Right. I mean, this is like this is Ford versus Ferrari.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My point in bringing that up is you don't have to run it like Alabama. You don't have to do it like that but you have to provide some sort of balance in your offensive attack. You have to provide some explosiveness in your, in your offensive attack at every position. And the one thing I, I do know, especially for those two first backs, David Johnson, and Mark Ingram, they will hit you right smack in the face and pass protection. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we saw That's David vague. do that a ton. So there's a lot of value there, even if it's not running for 150 yards per game, but to get this offense to a balanced level, to help out the defense, that still is going to need some help. you got to be able to run the ball, move the clock a little bit, and make sure that that is a part of your offense. It doesn't have to be your only, the only part of your offense, but it's got to be a significant part of the offense to take the pressure off of every other unit on the field and, of course, uh, the quarterback as well and the passing game. I mean, it just it has to. I just thought it was interesting that Nick Saban talked about that how he was kind of locked in to doing things one way. Like, no, you play defense and you are on the ball. And it's like, uh, it, it's changed well, now. It's changed. Doesn't mean you can't, doesn't mean has. you can be the worst defense. Doesn't mean you can have the worst running game. But I'll tell you this you better not have the worst in both. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were last year. Well, you
1: said it. It's balanced because what did the Texans quarterback have more of than anybody else in the league last year? Passing yards. Right. That was great. However, not being able to run the football. Literally cost them games. Literally, your your offense got off to slow starts. You need the balance. You have it's a key ingredient. It's like we can make burgers, but we don't have any beef. So <laughs> I got the ketchup and the bun. I yeah. got the tomatoes and some pickles and some mustard, but I don't have any beef. I mean, you have to have it. I don't know where it sits in that ingredient depth chart, by the way, Johnny. But I'm watching like Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback who ever lived, and I'm you know he's still putting the ball in somebody's gut like we need some yards on the ground otherwise i'm getting killed here yep. and this team the way look watson whatever you know, I know Watson. i don't know what you know we, obviously we're dealing with a, a situation here but th- this team needs to be able to run the ball i don't care who's playing quarterback and i've seen it here from the get-go when they're able to move the ball on the ground they win they're more likely to win i mean it's just that simple so i mean i love being able to throw it the old thing is like you, you got to run the move the ball, but you got to throw to score. That's fine. That's yeah. fine. Okay, great. I'm not saying you don't
0: need to, but um, they got to improve greatly in that category. No doubt. And one of the other places they've got to improve is setting the edge, playing the run, and getting after the quarterback. Shaq Lawson will help them do that. Talk with my buddy Sal Capaccio next. You'll have to stick around to hear what he had to say about Shaq as a player for the Texans and what he was as a Buffalo Bill a few years ago. We'll do that next on Texans All Access. Welcome to Texas All Access. We are brought to you in part by Apache Corporation. Nearly 3 billion people worldwide live in energy poverty, meaning they lack access to reliable electricity or clean cooking fuels. The natural gas and oil produced by companies like Apache Corporation help power cleaner electricity, enable access to food, education, and healthcare, and connect us to those we love. We are committed to providing the energy the world needs and to elevating families across the globe to higher standards of living. Learn more at apachecorp.com. That's apachecorp.com. Now, here's the show. What's up, everybody? One final segment of this Friday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. So much has been going on the last couple of weeks, good and bad, but one of the good things that took place in my estimation was a trade that Nick Sir and the Texans made with the Miami Dolphins for defensive end Shaq Lawson. Now Shaq I had rated pretty highly back in the day and I'm trying to remember I want to say it was the 20 maybe in the 2017 draft. I think it was a 2017 draft. 18, I think that's right. Because he spent four years in Buffalo, 17, 18, 19, 16, maybe it was 16. But anyway, Shaq Lawson last year was with the Miami Dolphins. And just getting a feel for NFL teams and needs and things around the league, I've been watching various teams. So I was watching the Chiefs. I was watching the Cardinals. I was watching the Rams. I mean, also, you never know when you're going to pick up something from a scheme that you see or something like that. So I got around to the Dolphins because I was kind of curious what the Dolphins looked like last year. I I mean, I saw them, but I didn't really see them, if you know what I mean. Like, I watched games, but I didn't really watch them like I normally do. So I was watching Dolphins against the Rams. I think it was Dolphins Chiefs. And I was like, man, I need standing out. And this is where things start to kind of blur together because... Like, man, number 90. Oh, that's Emmanuel Ogbo. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Ogba. Wait, wait, wait. No, no. Ogbo went... Okay, wait, wait. Who's 90? I see it's Shaq Lawson. I was like, oh, man. Shaq's playing pretty well. Then I hear that the Texans have made a deal with the Dolphins in which Shaq is coming to Houston. I'm like, man, that is good stuff. Shortly after that deal was announced on Twitter, not official, but just announced, put out there, hey, the Texans are trading for Shaq Lawson. I got a text from... My good buddy Sal Capaccio, who's a salon reporter for the Buffalo Bills. And he said, Hey, let me know if you want to talk. I can give you some good stuff on Shaq Lawson. Absolutely. I wanted to go to the source. Shaq spent four years in Buffalo. So I got Sal on and I asked him, What are the Texans getting in Shaq Lawson?
2: Super high-energy guy. You're gonna love having him. Like he's he fits into any locker room, I think. This is a guy that you know, people gravitate to him. He's got a great, fun personality, right? And I think that kind of was his, to his detriment a little bit early on in this league. I think what happened with Shaq was, first of all, he was drafted by Rex Ryan. And yeah. Rex saw this. You know, remember, Rex's kid played at Clemson. He was Shaq's yeah. teammate, okay? Rex saw a lot of Clemson play. He loved him. He said, And Rex wanted defensive guys. And he saw he was the ACC player of the year but to be honest, he didn't fit Rex's defense. Rex ran more of like a three, four hybrid and Shaq had to come in and he had to play outside linebacker. He not, not necessarily not defensive end, but the other thing that really hurt him was going to a team that wasn't as buttoned up as a coach, like Rex Ryan. I don't know if Shaq was quite the professional he needed to be the first couple of years in the league, if that makes sense. You know, I, I think he needed a guy like Sean McDermott and the bills organization and coaching staff to kind of get him into that mold. And he really did. He became that after his, after his third year, the Bills declined the fifth-year option. There was a lot of talk because he was an ascending player. He started playing well. And I remember being in the locker room and talking to him about it, and he said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go out and really play and earn my money, and, hey, if if, if they don't want to keep me, then I'll go somewhere else, but I'm going to try and show them that I'm worth it. And then he actually had the most sacks on the Bills. His his contract year, his fourth year. I really like how Shaq turned out as a football player. I don't think he's lived up to the exact first-round potential but I think going to Rex Ryan both on and off the field actually hurt him early on in his career. With Shaq, you mentioned
0: it, 3-4 versus 4-3, and and look, the lines on those two defenses have blurred so much more in the last probably decade than than ever before, but there are some significant differences at significant positions and the edge spot being one of those. He went from a 3-4 in in Buffalo, then Sean brings in a 4-3, then he goes to a little bit more of a 3-4 kind of hybrid look down in Miami. Now, with Lovey Smith here in Houston, the assumption is it'll be more of a 4-3. Do you feel like that, Sal, fits Shaq a bit better to play that 4-3 defensive end spot as opposed to a
2: stand-up or a 3-4 outside linebacker? I do. I do. I think Shaq Lawson is a 4-3 defensive end. He is not a stand-up linebacker. He doesn't need to be in coverage. He needs to have his hand on the ground and a rush to quarterback, but you know what? He's a good edge setter, John. He's actually a really good edge defender and no more was this more evident than when the bills played the Ravens in the 2019 season, go back and watch that game. Shaq Lawson was amazing in that game. He was really good. He did everything exactly like you're supposed to against Lamar Jackson. I, I thought Shaq was maybe the best defender on the field that day for the Buffalo bills. And again, that goes back to coaching from Leslie Frazier coaching from Sean McDermott, but he had to be able to do that himself. So, I think Shaq belongs in a 4-3. I think he is an edge defender. He can get to the quarterback. You know, he's going to give you some sacks, but don't be – he's not going to be a double-digit sack guy. Don't expect that. But he can win a little bit. But where he really excels, I think, is just being an all-around guy. If he's, as long as he's coached right and as long as he's put in a position to succeed, he'll be fine.
0: Like me, Sal has an up-close seat down on the sideline. Not really a seat, but eh, standing room only, if you will. He had that opportunity to see Shaq up close for a few years, and I thought it was great stuff. I thought the part about Rex Ryan, I think, was a a great one, and it got me thinking about how players need that right environment right out of the chute. They need that hard coaching. In some cases, guys are going to need maybe – I don't know, uh, a positive pat on the back. Either way, Shaq Lawson's kind of seen both sides of it with the Bills. And then even more so with the Bills, he had Rex Ryan to start. Then he had Sean McDermott. He had Leslie Frazier, as Sal pointed out. And now he's down here with Lovey Smith and Bobby King coaching the defensive line. And he's going to have some guys that he's going to need to mentor that are going to be some young guys. There are going to be some young guys added to this mix. To me, there's no doubt about that, especially in the defensive line. They've made some additions, no doubt. Shaq. Malik Collins, Vincent Taylor, but Russ Blacklock's in year two. John Grenard is in year two. Shaq's going to have a big influence on those guys, and I can't wait. And I think he's got a ton left, and I think there's a lot of untapped potential with Shaq Lawson. I'm really excited to see what he's able to bring. So I appreciate, Sal, for joining me and giving us some uh, food for thought on Shaq Lawson, one of the most recent additions to your Houston Texans. A big thanks to Mark to Sal, to my man B. Porter, to Amanda, uh, back with our Texans crew. You guys uh, are the best. Thank you so much to you all for listening. Thank you so much. Have a tremendous weekend. Go Cougs. Let's get to the Final Four. Let's do something great for the city of Houston. We'll see you on Monday, everybody, and recap it all right here on Texans All Access. And as always, go Texans.